All right, welcome back, everyone, to Question Field, the place where you ask the questions and we field them. The we being myself, Brian, and I'm joined once again, as always, by me, Campbell. <laughs> a lot of a lot of pep. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm so excited for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have a we have a good one, Campbell. You have been, we were supposed to record the other day, but you sent me a desperate text saying you must take to the sea. That's right. Yeah. The ocean called me and I had to answer. Um, yeah, no. So there's a, there's a rowing race uh, happening at the moment in, in Cambridge. Um, and I used to be involved in the, in the boat club at, um, at my college and some, uh, some stuff went down in the first couple of days of this, of this four day kind of series of races and that meant that I had to um, step into what's called Cox, the, the rowing boat, which is sort of the, the person at the back of the boat that shouts a lot and steers the boat. And <laughs> so Do you my, use a drum? I really wish the... I had a drum. It, I, I've been petitioning the, the boat club yeah. to uh, invest in a drum. But no, instead, I just use my voice. And so as you can maybe tell, my... My vocal cords are, are a little strained at the moment. <laughs> I'll be honest, Campbell, as like a soft-spoken podcaster, I mm-hmm. would not, you, you would not be the first person I would imagine to be shouting at the end. Like, how, how did that happen that you were the one? <laughs> it's a different side of me. Maybe you haven't seen it, Brian. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> something else comes out deep within and yeah. Uh, yeah. it takes over. Um, but go. it's all encouraging shouting. It's not angry shouting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. There yeah. you go. All right. Well, man, what a good what a good bit of banter to get this going. Um, Indeed, it's our obligatory banter. Now that's been <laughs> yes, <you> know, <laughs> enough yeah, time for that. Yeah. What is the question yeah. we're dealing with today, Brian? So the question, our question comes from. Well, okay. So this this is going to date the podcast, but uh, we're recording this the day before Father's Day, and the question comes from my father. So, happy Father's Day, Dad. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Very appropriate. Yeah, I asked him for a question, you know, many, many months ago when we started this, and I've been thinking about this question since he first asked it, and I've done <laughs> a lot of research, and I am more confused than ever. It, it is such a complicated question, and here's what it is, but without further ado, all right? Uh, he starts off quoting uh, Pink Floyd, saying, "Overhead, the albatross hangs motionless upon the air," which I believe is from the song "Echoes." Are you a Pink Floyd person? I, yeah, I quite like Pink, Pol- Pink Floyd. Yeah, absolutely. However, Thumbs I up. don't think I know the song "Echoes," <laughs> so maybe I'm a fake fan. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. So here's the the actual question from my dad. Uh, he says this. Can a bird remain aloft and, quote-unquote, glide uh, merely by facing into the wind, that is, without flapping its wings, or does it necessarily need to find some air movement with a definite upward component, such as a thermal? Mm -hmm. So I suppose what he's saying is, is it possible for a bird just to stay completely stationary and continue to, you know, fly and glide just Mm. with an oncoming wind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and boy oh boy (laughs) uh fluid dynamics (laughs) is a tough one yeah uh campbell do you have a particular area you want to start with this one i feel like i actually want to jump in with an immediate answer to this question before we get into the reason because i think we usually sort of faff around introducing things for ages that's around a bit yeah but i think that it is unambiguous that no a bird cannot hover in midair without uh, any upward component for the uh, to the to the motion of the air um, but I don't know what do you what do you think do you think do you agree with that or do you that was unambiguously yeah, that, think the other way around <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, it's one of the I no, I agree that's where I was landing as well mm-hmm. and not gliding right no. <laughs> but I will say that I when I first heard this question I intuitively felt that yeah sure why not um, if the wind is strong enough, then uh, the the force of the upwards force due to lift is going to be strong enough. So why can't the bird hover? But well, we'll get into this. But I, I think yeah. it, I think it, in fact it is the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean part of my intuition on this, um, just thinking about this, is that it's not what 
it's not what happens. It's not what we see. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if it was possible and easy and that was the mm. most efficient way to do things that's what we would see mm-hmm. birds doing and it's not <laughs> so what is it what is it that they're doing and why and that's kind of where yeah where i <laughs> was looking into yeah. and how this all works and it's a subject kind of uh, close to my hobbies at the moment because i yes you yeah. you who do not like the ground that's right <laughs> that's right yeah i'm uh yeah getting into gliding um so in planes without engines and they do as birds do when they um when they soar on thermals and hover or uh glide without flapping yeah we're we're flapless birds basically (laughs) all of us just flapless birds (laughs) yeah so where do you want to kind of start in and actually sort of trying to explain and and dive into this topic I, I I have heard of in the past, you know, you hear about these birds that can fly for like two weeks straight sure. without, like albatrosses. without ever landing. Yeah, albatrosses. You have these yeah. condors that will fly across the Pacific, mm. apparently, mm. and they don't, there's nowhere to land. So they, <laughs> so they don't, they just keep going. That's incredible. Yeah, I learned, and you know, something else when I was thinking about this problem is like, you know, if we are picturing a bird that's not moving, is that like indistinguishable from say like a plane or so, or, or a glider. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I think it was, I, I read that albatrosses do actually have a mechanism where their bones will lock. And so they will be pretty rigid. Cause I figured there's like, this is one of those cases where there's always going to be these small fluctuations. Yeah. And when you're dealing with something like wind and all these particles, like any, these tiny differences are going to add up and mm-hmm. shift things mm-hmm. around. So there's never going to be an ideal case, yada, yada. But I was like, that's kind of interesting. Bird wings actually stay locked in. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't actually know know that. Um, yeah. And you can imagine that would be much more efficient as well. Like uh, if you're relying on the structure of your uh, skeleton, that's that's less work that your muscles have to do to hold your wings in place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's less, less strain there. Yeah. And something else I wanted to talk about too, just because my father mentioned it was this idea of thermal. Yeah, well, okay, so a thermal is um, rising air due to the ground being heated by uh, the sun and thereby sort of like heating the air close to the ground. And because hot air rises, um, the the air close to the ground rises up and that rising air you can use to actually gain altitude if you're a glider or if you're a bird. And then eventually it sort of reaches this maximum height and the, the moisture in the air condenses and it forms a cloud. And so you can, f- you can sort of locate thermals by uh, finding these nice fluffy cumulus clouds with a flat bottom. So that means if the, if the bottom's flat, it means they're still, th- uh, they're still forming and they're nice and fresh. So that's what glider pilots look for when they want to uh, stay in the air for longer. And it's also what birds use when they, um, well, cer- certain birds, like birds of prey, for example, they used to uh, gain altitude more efficiently than flapping or, or with with less energy expenditure. And they kind of, you know, you, you sort of use one another to um, to figure right. out where these things are. If you see a bird circling, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I fly <laughs> over that way. <laughs> it seems that that's uh, one thing that, you know, you, you can kind of like surf these thermals, mm-hmm. it seems like. Yeah. It seems like it's just, it's a combination of these different methods. There was something else I saw, the method of which was like, you know, if you have a large cliff face Mm. and you have a lot of wind that's pushing into the cliff face, well, it has to go somewhere. It's not going to go into the cliff. So that's going to be another type of, you know, the air is literally just going to be pushed up. Yeah. We'll take advantage of that too. That's called ridge. I would not recommend that. uh, Ridge soaring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably imagine gliders don't like to rely on on that too much. Oh, I mean, no, it's, it's, the- <laughs> it's actually quite a popular <laughs> uh, popular uh, way of, uh, of soaring. Yeah, it is. Ca- it can be dangerous, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, uh, can be with risk of, yeah. comes reward. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of flying. I don't know if you mm. can gather. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Well, maybe you just need more control. I, I, I'm still a fairly nervous flyer commercially, but, uh, mm. you know, if you, if you have more control, then sometimes the nerves can dissipate. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't like the, yeah, the surrender <laughs> to yeah. some pilot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, there's a couple of other ways that you can, um, use the wind to gain altitude. So another one is 
if you have a mountain range or a ridge or something like that, but you're on what's called the leeward side, so you're on the sort of downwind side of that of that range, the wind hitting the mountain range can set up a standing wave on the downwind mm. side of the of the hills. And so, you know, you've got wind that's sort of oscillating up and down. Um, and if you go, if you sort of, as you say, kind of surf that wave, you can, uh, you can use those waves to gain altitude. Um, and in fact, that's the way that you can uh, get the highest in, uh, in gliding. So there's a competition, no, not a competition, sorry. There's a world record attempt for um, the sort of highest um, altitude achieved by a, you know, engineless plane glider. <laughs> and that is, is uh, I think they hold the world record and they've got to something like 70,000 feet through oh this really specific <laughs> phenomenon that happens uh, in the Andes in South America, where on the downwind side of the Andes or uh, thereabouts, um, I'm not entirely, I'm not super confident with the details of, of how this, this works, but it's basically, it's, uh, it's, it's this form of wave lift that they're, uh, that they're using to, to soar and gain altitude. And they were planning on um, trying to reach 100,000 feet. And I'm not sure if they've, they've reached it yet, but I think they're still trying to do that. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. The heights that you can actually get to just from the, the wind. Daredevils, daredevils, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so how do things actually stay in the air? What causes lift? I think, Campbell, it might be worth mentioning a few caveats. Uh, yeah. Which the first one I want to mention is that this is one of those topics where unfortunately there's not a nice, simple, elegant explanation. Um, mm. It is pretty complicated. Um, I, you know, and our format as a podcast, I think <laughs> also uh, might put a strike against us. Obviously, we're going to try and do our best. Yeah. So that's right off the top. The other thing that makes talking about lift and how airplanes fly is that there are a lot of explanations out there that I'll give credit for like good intuition, mm -hmm. but there's usually some fatal flaw or something that's overlooked and it's incomplete. And, you know, I think we strive for something a little more here on question field. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're all, they are constantly debated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No one seems to agree on which is the correct explanation. And, you know, this is funny. This is something I came across is like, even the man himself, uh, Mr. Einstein took a, took a crack at this and hmm. he would, and I, I do want to, I do want to talk about it later just briefly, but I, his conclusion at the end of it, when he reflected on his work in this area, he said, ah, that was a youthful folly. And so... <laughs> Interesting. I yeah, I wasn't aware that he had anything to do with this topic, but there you go. Yeah. You can't so, escape Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. He's he's kind of like a uh, a night terror in that way. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's what I that's what I'm aiming for at least here. Is youthful folly at the very least, hopefully a little more than that. Sounds good to me. Let's let's start with some of these explanations. Uh mm -hmm. So if we're, well, it's kind of like we did last time with bikes, you know, let's start with a simple force diagram. You know, what are the forces acting on a plane, right? Mm -hmm. There's thrust pushing it forward. It's going to experience some drag from the air yeah. that wants to keep it from going that way. Mm -hmm. um, Gravity is pulling it down. And so then what keeps it in the air? What's the force acting up on it? It's this idea of lift. Yeah. And so that's where we are. And so when I was really diving into this, I saw that there were, kind of two major competing ideas. There was like team Bernoulli mm. in this corner of the ring. <laughs> and in this corner of the ring, we had a Newtonian explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which one do you think we should tackle first? <laughs> uh, let, let's start with the Bernoulli explana explanation. And this is the one that I think I heard way back in high school or something and was watching videos. And so the, the idea is... You know, you have your your wing, your and it, it's a curved wing, which is an airfoil. This is the name of that. And the idea is that you know you have 
you know, let's say you have two air particles moving towards it. One is going to go over the top and the other goes across the bottom. And the one that goes over the top, it has a longer way to go. So it has to go faster to get to the end of the, the wing than the bottom one does because the bottom one can move in a you know, straighter path. And it's because this, this uh, air particle on top is moving faster that means, you know, according to Bernoulli's principle, you know, if you have your fluid moving faster, you're going to have less, less pressure. And with this less pressure on top and more pressure on the bottom, that's what's going to give you lift. Your wing is going to move up into the lower pressure area. It's being pushed up from the bottom. And the main problem with this that jumps out to me was like, why do the two particles have to meet up at the end at the same time? Like, there doesn't seem to be a reason why and so you know digging into this i learned that yeah there is no reason mm. <laughs> why they have to in fact they don't <laughs> so just just to reiterate so there are kind of two parts of this explanation right there is there is um firstly the explanation says okay uh, air over the top of the wing is going to be having to travel faster than air over the bottom of the wing firstly we need to explain that and they say well not they one sort of uh, hypothesis, which is discredited, as you say, is that oh, okay, well, air that um, that that is close together, or air parcels that are close together at the front end of the wing meet up at the ta- the trailing end of the wing, also close together. Um, so they have a sort of equal transit time. Uh, and then the reason that that equates to fastness of the air over the top of the wing is because of the shape of the wing. The curvature of the wing means that the air over the top is, uh, um, if it has the equal transit time, it, it has the um, it, it has a, fast, a faster velocity. The second part of the explanation is that, yeah, as you're saying, there's this principle from Bernoulli, Bernoulli which is uh, relating the velocity of a fluid to its, its um, pressure. And the faster you send, or the, the yeah, the, the faster that, uh, the fluid goes, the lower pressure it has, yeah. And so then that means that the air on the top of the wing has lower pressure. So it gets, yeah, I mean, a resulting force is uh, upwards from the from the air. You know, Bernoulli's principle, this Bernoulli effect, like, is involved, but I think, like, the key thing that's missing from this explanation is, like, why is the air moving faster over the top? And, yeah. like, that that's what's missing there. Like, yeah, there is going to be less pressure on top yeah the air is going to be moving faster but it's not so much to do with the shape in and of itself i mean you can design you know aircraft with flat wings Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. so that right there kind of uh puts a dent in that one yeah and another issue with this um this explanation is um this equal transit time idea as you pointed out that's not true they the sort of air particles that are close together at the front of the wing do not actually end up close together at the back of the wing. And in right. fact, what you tend to find apparently is that um, the air traveling over the top of the wing travels much faster than you would normally expect yeah. for this um, if you assume equal transit times. And that makes sense because if you calculate the lift produced assuming equal transit times, what you find is a a vector, or sorry, you, what you find is a force that is much less than is required to keep the thing in the air. <laughs> so it's a very yeah, good thing yeah. that we don't have uh, this <laughs> this equal transit time idea turning out to be true, because then nothing would fly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it, it's a little bit like trying to apply the, like working backwards from this idea of low pressure, mm. the air must be moving faster, and then and then arriving at this idea that they that yeah that there's this equal transit time. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the ring is this Newtonian idea. And so the uh, the the basic principle with this one is that you know you have your wing angled down mm-hmm. or you know pointing pointing downward, and you have you know this massive air then mostly hitting the bottom of your wing. And, you know, I described, the, I, I read this theory as being described as like a skipping stone almost, where you just keep having air constantly hit into this wing mm. and not so much on top. And, you know, I guess the, the general idea of this theory is, you know, if the wing is pushing the air down mm-hmm. from it, well, then the air must be pushing up on the wing. 
and that's where you're gonna get your your quote-unquote uh lift from yeah it's an application of newton's third law yeah, yeah. and you know this one has some immediacy for me because you know it's summertime i'm driving around now with my my window down sometimes and i'll put my hand out the window and yeah. if you just curve your hand a little like you'll feel it right your and your hand will move up and down yeah and probably you would feel well you, you can sort of feel it at, sl at slower speeds um in a pool or something right where the fluid is water yeah, instead yeah. Of, of air yeah exactly and the the big problem with this explanation is that it doesn't really explain the low pressure on top of the wing. It's like very mm -hmm. focused just on the bottom of the wing. Yeah, exactly. And also um, <laughs> just uh, going in absolute reverse of what the of our initial criticism of the first explanation, you can have wings that work perfectly well without being deflected down at the trailing edge. Right. The, right. the only um, element of the wing that is producing the lift is its camber, which is to say it's um, sort of asymmetry from the top surface to the bottom surface. So again, that, la that, that lends itself to the pressure explanation, the Bernoulli explanation, more so than the Newtonian one. So then what actually happens? Mm -hmm. uh, so this, this is where I got in my understanding of this. What it really comes back to is getting to the bottom of how is the air moving faster over the top of the wing? Because there, there is some of, of both of these at play. Like there mm -hmm. will eventually be lower pressure on top, higher pressure on bottom. There is some air hitting the bottom of the wing if it's curved that way. But it's, it starts with the air that is going over the top, whether it's because you have your wing curved or you're just angling it. You know, you have that bend where it needs to go over the top. The act of having to make that turn uh, or curve that way means the air has to be accelerating, mm. right? It's no longer going to straight line. It has to be accelerating. And so that's part of what's going to be making it speed up. Mm -hmm. The second part of, of that is after it kind of gets past the bend, it is going to start moving straight again, but, you know, just for a moment. But what that's going to do is that's going to create a slight vacuum in that space between where it is and, you know, beneath it before you get to the top of the wing itself. And as you have mentioned before, Campbell, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And, you know, so the, the air on the top, you know, that has just gone round the bend is going to be pulled down and is kind of forced into that vacuum and not fill it completely, but there will be just enough left where at that point it will be pulled along the rest of the wing. Right. And then you have kind of a cascading effect from there where, you know, the more air you have moving faster over the swing, the more air it's going to pull in, mm -hmm. you're going to, it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening until, you know, until other forces like drag start taking over and, you know, you just don't have as much air as you could possibly need or make use of or something like that. Well, yeah. Eventually you get to speed of sound or something where yeah. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. very different. So I, I kind of wrote this out in four points. Mm -hmm. So like the, the, the full idea of this is, is these four things in combination is you have this downward turning of the air after it crosses the bend, that's going to increase your airspeed, which is going to create a low pressure area. And because you have a low pressure area and a high pressure area, the result of those two things are going to mm. aerodynamically force <laughs> your wing up. Mm -hmm. uh, so... How did I do? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the key thing is that, well, one, one of the key aspects of this is that, yes, there is air that's going faster over the top of the wing. And again, this can happen even in uncambered aerofoils. So when there's a symmetry between the top surface and the bottom surface, but the aerofoil is tilted um, so that, it's, that the leading edge is sort of tilted up and the trailing edge is, is tilted down. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my understanding. It's, it's, you do have this faster airflow. And as you sort of uh, identified, the key question is why, you know, where, where is this actually coming from? And yeah, it's, 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 it's the sort of reaction to the fact that you've got some curved surface sitting in this uh, flowing air that, that is um, causing this, this effect. And it's, um, but it's, it's, it's actually quite non-trivial to, uh, to work out exactly where this effect comes from. 
And um, hand in hand with this is more of a Newtonian explanation again, um, not to, you know, not to discard the, <laughs> the Newtonian explanation that we had before. Um, this sort of has equal merit um, because what you see is that, um, as was kind of hinted by what you were saying there, when you look at the air that's coming off the trailing edge of the wing and compare it to the air that's coming onto the trailing edge, uh, onto the leading edge of the wing, what you find is that the air coming onto the leading edge is angled slightly upwards. It sort of it meets the meets the leading edge a little bit, uh, pointing upwards in relation to the, the the plane of the of the wing, and that's called the upwash, right? So the air sort of washes up a little bit, and then you compare that again to the air coming off the um, or fluid, any fluid coming off the the leading edge, right. uh, the, the trailing edge. And what you find is that it's angled downwards, right? And this is called the downwash. And it's, you know, if, if you compare those two, you see, okay, well, uh, one velocity vector is pointing up a little bit and one is pointing down a little bit, right? And so the wing has caused the, the fluid to accelerate as in it's changed its uh, momentum from pointing up a little bit to pointing down a little down, bit. Yeah, yeah. And that means that it's imparted a force on the fluid and which, which means from Newton's third law again, uh, that the fluid has imparted an equal and opposite force onto the wing, which is upwards. And again, so this is a, another kind of partial explanation because it begs the question, what is causing the wing to deflect the air downwards? And yeah, and, and you can get really into the weeds of this stuff. Uh, I don't actually know what, what is a good <laughs> a, um, tackling point and how deep we want to get in this, but yeah, effectively, you can say, you can sort of step towards the full explanation. So halfway would be to say, okay, well, as you, as you said, the air, because, um, because the, the air is going to be, well, as, yeah, as we're saying, you know, you can't have a vacuum. And that's, that's actually a little bit of a overly simplistic <laughs> turn of phrase, because there are many ways for nature to prevent a vacuum from forming. And one way is for the air to perfectly stream, streamline, follow the, the curvature of the wing, right? There are two streamlines, one going over the top, one going over the bottom, and they kind of, you know, they meet up at the trailing edge. And this is, you know, if you, if you say, well, okay, that is what must be happening because if the, if the streamline going over the top of the wing were to go straight as opposed to following the curvature of the wing, then there would be a vacuum bad stuff happens, you know, that's a, that's right. not a good solution. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, the, the fact that it's forced to follow the curvature of the wing means that it's uh, deflected downwards and travels faster. And then in these two competing explanations that produces the lift, but actually that's, that's really not the only way that it could, um, uh, that nature could prevent a vacuum from forming. One way is for there to be turbulent flow um, sort of towards the lead, uh, towards the trailing edge of the wing. So the, the streamlines sort of kind of separate off the wing and mm. uh, air from the back of the wing gets sort of sucked in and uh, spun up like a, like a tumble dryer. And that's yeah, basic. Yeah. well, you know, it, it's a very complicated sort of fluid dynamics, but that's more or less what happens when a wing stalls. So, you, you, you know, our, our audience are probably familiar with the car stalling and some might be familiar with this concept of um, aerodynamic stalling. So it's basically when, when a, the, the lift produced by a wing undergoes a rapid drop. And the cause of this is the sort of separation of the streamlines from the, the wing. And you get turbulent mm. flow kind of over the wing as opposed to this nice laminar flow. Yeah, when when you get this, it's it's um, if you're learning to fly, you get hammered into you, into your brain, <laughs> that this um, what determines when the wing is stalled is the the what's called the angle of attack of the wing. So it's sort of the angle between the the plane of the wing and the uh, the sort of effective direction of flow of the fluid. And if you increase the angle of attack, so if you sort of move the tilt the wing further and further backwards, uh, eventually you get to a point where the the, the airflow separates, so it, it produces this turbulent turbulent flow, and the uh, lift force rapidly drops. And and when you do that, you're 
bird or plane sort of starts descending very rapidly hmm. and you need to get out of that yeah. stall very quickly. Um, <laughs> so that, that's our halfway explanation, right? Okay, if you assume, if you take it for granted that the airflow has to flow nicely over the wing, then wonderful. We, have, <laughs> we, can, we can all accept that, that there's going to be uh, a resulting force going upwards on the wing. The sort of trickier part is explaining under what conditions you really expect for this nice airflow to um, uh, to be going over the wing. But yeah, maybe, maybe we take stock of, of what we've explained so far. This is kind of um, one potential solution, you know, to the equations in motion of this fluid that doesn't have this or that doesn't obey our assumptions that the, that the air flows nicely and smoothly over the wings the whole way and meets up mm. at the trailing edge and con- continues laminally. Uh, yeah, there are other ways, you know, you could have, for example, one, you could have laminar flow, but one of the uh, streamlines kind of wraps back around the trailing edge, sort of started okay. heading yeah, heading yeah. towards the front of the wing. And then they, mm. then the two streamlines meet and they go off uh, away from the wing. Right. So maybe, maybe we can include some diagrams here for the potential solutions that you could, you could have that, that sort of at for to, to first order seem like they are good solutions to the equations and and but it, but are in fact not very common to find in practice right okay yeah yeah so um when i say solutions to the equations by the way at the end of the day all of this is coming from the navier stokes equations which are the kind of governing equations for the dynamics of any fluid they they really are like they are the fundamentals <laughs> that you know yeah, if you yeah, if you yeah. can go back and solve those, then you'll come up with the right answer. But the the issue is that they are um, incredibly complicated, <laughs> very, very yeah, yeah. Uh, tricky to, to deal with. Um, and yeah, and so there are certain assumptions that we make in order to make the, our lives easier. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, caveat number one, this is not a nice, simple, elegant <laughs> explanation. Yeah. This feels like a good time to mention <laughs> how Einstein got mm. uh, stuck his neck into all this because mm-hmm. i mean uh, maybe it goes without saying but you know newton nor bernoulli were uh trying to describe things remaining in the air <laughs> when they were developing all of this so einstein had a crack at this and his basic idea was if you have the more curve you have in your wing mm-hmm. the more distance there will be and the more you know, due to the bend, and that's going to equal more airspeed. So even he kind of fell into that that trap a little bit. Mm. Um, and so he designed a, a wing called, uh, or what has been now been called the cat's back <laughs> for the kind of shape of it. It's just kind of long with a little hump in the middle, and then it keeps going. And <laughs> Okay, yeah. What's kind of funny, though, is uh, a pilot, you know, they actually built a plane with this design to see if it would work. And really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this is my favorite part of this is that the pilot reported that uh, <laughs> the, the plane, it felt like he was riding a pregnant duck. Because <laughs> it's just, there was just too much turbulence. It kept, right. kept bouncing up and down and up and down. Do we have a, so, do we have a picture of this wing design? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can pull it up. Maybe we can uh, share it with the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have this uh, shared with everybody. Oh, Okay. So we've got, right, so normal wing, <laughs> and then we've got something that kind of in profile looks a bit like a boomerang. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And so what, his, his hypothesis was that this would, uh, this would cause the sort of greatest difference between the speed of the air going over the top and bottom of the wing or something like that? Basically, he, he kind of bought into this idea of the bigger curve you can get on your wing yeah. while keeping it a wing, keeping it mostly flat, will just increase the distance that the air has to go. Yeah. And the, the farther it has to go, the faster it's going to have to go. Yeah. Because, and that's kind of <laughs> where it falls apart a little bit. I mean, it's super interesting. I, I really don't have a good intuition for this at all, but obviously, you know, what I'm saying could be totally wrong. It would need to be experimented. But I would have thought, given this design, you might expect there to be more air that is stalled over the back of the wing. Because if you, mm. if you see what the air of the top of the wing has to do, right, you know, initially it, 
it's very easy, easily following the, the surface, but then it has to accelerate over that hump to go back to the, the trailing edge. And it seems to me kind of plausible that, that at least some of the time it fails to do that and you get the turbulent flow over the back um, of, the, yeah. of the wing. So I don't know, but um, that, seems, that seems possible. Anyway, so yeah, it's, it, it's certainly not <laughs> not the design that you would want to go for. <laughs> no, unless unless you're going for that pregnant duck flight. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's really what Which, we want uh, for our transatlantic journeys. <laughs> so let me let me just um, maybe bring the kind of lift explanation to its close and try and try and attempt to go from that halfway explanation that we had to something approximating a full explanation. Um, with the proviso that obviously, to properly understand this, you probably need to go and and go into the maths. But but more or less, um, so as, as I said before, there are all of these potential solutions uh, that that you might expect to find. Right, one is that uh, the sort of most natural uh, looking one, which is that everything flows uniformly and nicely over the over the wing, and um, the streamlines that go over the top and bottom meet up again at the trailing edge. And then there are more complicated laminar flow situations where maybe the the streams actually meet up somewhere along the top or bottom edge of the wing. So one of the streamlines wraps around the back edge of the wing. And um, it turns out that if you if you make an assumption which is very natural in air, which is that the the viscosity of the air goes to zero, this is a term in one of in the Navier-Stokes equations you can just set to zero. Um, all of these solutions are possible. So we actually have an infinite number of possible solutions that um, for how the air uh, trail for, for for how the air passes over the wing. Effectively, that infinite number of solutions corresponds to where that uh, where those two streamlines meet up again. Um, so if it's at the trailing edge, that's one solution. If it's elsewhere, that's those are different ones. Right. And the the thing that selects out the the correct solution in most cases. You basically have to put it in again by hand, and it's it's it comes with this name called the Cutter condition, uh, K U T T A. So you can you can have a Google, and that basically that that just means that the streamlines meet up at the trailing end, which is exactly what the sort of natural thing is right, that yeah. you would expect. The reason that that happens is basically that the airflow that's very very close to the uh, the wing is not actually inviscid. It, it it isn't zero velocity. Uh, sorry, it isn't zero viscosity. It does right, have right, some viscosity, right. and when you when you take into account that viscosity, that viscous layer, it turns out that that a lot of these solutions become very unphysical um, and unreasonable. And basically, uh, yeah, it, the the viscous layer would have to be sort of um, accelerating around the trailing edge of that of that wing, and that um, it would have to be undergoing like uh, a lot of some some serious forces. It's yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that's so you sort of neglect those solutions as being unlikely or unable to happen. Uh, but yeah, so um, this this is kind of um, the the full explanation for why the the air is diverted over the wing. Um, you have to assume effectively this cutter condition, and when you when you when you assume that, um, you find that the the correct solution actually generates lift because some of these other solutions you you don't you don't have any lift associated with them right right um yeah so that's that's kind of approaching the full solution but yeah i, I mean i i understand that that's um for the audience that might be a little too <laughs> too hand wavy or or not just quite, trust us not quite so satisfying but yeah it's it's this um yeah <laughs> it's it's this yeah kind yeah. of condition that kind of is the uh the source of it all this is a very complicated phenomenon, and there are many ways of looking at it, uh, and all of them are kind of accurate. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll mention too. I'll link to this in the show notes. There, you know, I, I was reading an article on Scientific American, and they they gave the basic explanation that you know that's where I got a lot of my information from. But kind of near the end of the article, you know, they're talking about this author, you know, this like an expert in the field, mm -hmm. and they wrote. They they tried to write a comprehensive book on this, hundreds of, hundreds of pages long, yeah. and you know, trying to come up with like a sixteen page summary of it. <laughs> and essentially, what they were saying was like these little things that happen. It kind of ends up just creating a state where it's it it all just works together. Mm. Like like it's not just going to happen on its own. You like you need to 
get your plane moving, you got to get it in the air and all these things, but they kind of reinforce themselves. But there's so many different ways you can look at it and none of them are completely satisfying. Yeah. And there's just, it's just, there are just so many tiny levers in this machine. Yeah. And they all, you need all 10 fingers on all lever, lever, you need all 10 fingers (laughs) on every lever just to, to get it right. And then, but like, and then, and then it works Yeah, and then you're in the air. Yeah. It's, it's a miracle. And it's like, there's, you know, if we had fully understood how all of this works, you know, before taking to the air, so to speak, before inventing planes, I don't, yeah, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way we would have ever oh, invented no, planes. No, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. it's, um, you, just, you, you know, this, a lot of this is just, you got to experiment and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And do a lot of engineering. Something that I was, that only became apparent to me when I was doing my deep dive into all this is that even something like a propeller, mm. it's really just, it's just a, a tiny wing. It's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's doing a lot of the same things just yep. in a different orientation. Yeah. And I mean, this, this phenomenon of lift, well, I mean, we keep talking about aerofoils and, and plane wings and things like that, but that's, that's, it's far more broad than that. I mean, yeah, for example, yeah. the way that a sail on a sailplane works, uh, sorry, sail on a sailboat, <laughs> sorry, a, uh, you know, a yacht or something, that sail generates lift. And mm. uh, I mean, you know, propellers, as you say, like both in the water and on the, on the air, hydrofoils. So these, these like devices that, um, that can bring boats and surfboards and things out of the water um, so that you look like you're hovering. Right. Uh, yeah, it's all the same thing, all the same phenomenon. Wild stuff. So, should we get on to kind of actually nailing down the the question that was asked? So, to reiterate the question, right? Can a bird remain aloft and glide along merely by facing into the wind? That is to say, without flapping its wings, mm-hmm. or does it necessarily need to find some air movement with a definite upward component, such as a thermal? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you? What's your what's your summary to this? <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's not gonna work mm. for the birds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's initially I was thinking oh sure it would that that's fine it would work. I was kind of imagining a situation in that the bird could somehow maintain its uh, its speed through the air um, without losing sort of uh, any more altitude than it initially was. And that's, I think, where the, where the kind of fallacy um, in that way of thinking comes in. Because as you increase the, the wind speed, you also increase the drag on the, on the bird. Yeah. And so its airspeed is, its airspeed is actually just going to be determined by its descent through the air. So if you increase the speed of the wind, um, the airspeed, you know, initially the airspeed of the bird is going to be increased, you know, if it's a headwind. Um, because it's right, but it's not going to be able to maintain exactly. Yeah, initially, yeah, it's yeah. its airspeed will start to slow down again until it uh, until it became what initially it was. Which is to say, effectively, the speed of the wind doesn't matter at all because um, yeah. once you're off yeah. the ground, it it literally you just don't know. Like you don't have any. You know, assuming it's not turbulent, right? Assuming it's um, right, traveling right. in one direction. If you don't look at the ground, you have no idea which way the wind is coming from. You only right, can tell right. because you notice that going in one direction, you go incredibly fast over the ground, and one direction, you go very, very slowly or backwards over the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, I think, my take home from this. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it was also just this idea of, like, if it's plausible, it would have to be a very ideal situation, and mm. it would have to last forever yeah. <laughs> and you know yeah i guess if, um, if the, the the bird the bird just, they'll just be a skeleton and <laughs> <laughs> i can i can imagine maybe a situation in which you know a very totally um unphysical situation where if the the wind was uniformly accelerating and in fact wait Maybe I can. Okay, maybe we're getting too complicated. But but <laughs> if the wind was uniformly accelerating, you could imagine that um, potentially the increase in its in the lift uh, kind of 
outcompetes the increase in drag. Now, yeah. I know that the lift goes proportional to the square of this of the velocity of the fluid. So, and I think also the the drag might. Yeah. Okay. So as you right, as you increase your your wind speed, your airspeed, effectively, what's called parasite or parasitic drag takes over from. <laughs> uh, okay. The, there are there are basically two, or there's maybe more, but um, there are sort of two big components of drag that you can think of in flight, and and one is called lift induced drag or just induced drag. Um, mm. and it's, uh, yeah, it, it has to do with the, um, well, it's, it's always present whenever you have, um, whenever you have a wing that's producing lift. Um, right. and then there you have this parasitic drag, which is sort of what you might no- more naturally think of as drag. So, you know, the, the air that's hitting the, um, the frame and, uh, sort of, f- uh, causing some friction as it moves over the, um, over the, the frame and the layers of, uh, of the air drag against each other. Um, okay, so and the the I think it seems like the parasite drag also goes up with the square of the velocity. So you might be losing either way. <laughs> and and at some point you're just gonna <laughs> your bird is gonna the the feathers are just gonna be ripped off <laughs> the body. That's very true. Yeah, you get you go fast enough, you get <laughs> hot enough. You're 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 gonna have you know <laughs> you're gonna cook your bird. Yeah, exactly. Is it possible to cook your bird by maintaining its... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's... Okay, yeah, that's right. So, the yeah, the parasitic drag is proportional to the square of the airspeed. So, as if you... Um, yeah, these, these, these two forces are, are going to be uh, sort of increasing in step with one another. So, yeah, effectively, the drag is going to push you backwards, which is going to reduce the, the lift, and that's... Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's not going to be able to maintain your your height indefinitely, yeah. even with an accelerating uh, accelerating wing. I don't think. Feels nice to have a definitive question here on question question field for once. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, definitive answer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Uh, it is sort of maybe the first time that's actually happened. <laughs> so thank Surprising. you to your dad. It only took us a el- yeah. It only took us eleven episodes. Um, <laughs> Campbell, you had a quote for us. Yeah, uh, well, well, to to kind of wrap this up. When I was um, when I was diving into this, uh, I came across um, a quote by Lord Rayleigh. Uh, so this is well, actually, I don't know much about him at all, to be honest, which is probably a bit bad. I should have um, <laughs> looked looked this up a little bit more. But um, he had some article in Nature where he was discussing bird flight, and it was in the 1880s. And the quote goes like this. I premise that if we know anything about mechanics, it is certain that a bird without working his wings cannot either in still air or in a uniform horizontal wind maintain his level indefinitely. So that means that, uh, uh, and again, the quote continues, whenever a bird pursues his course for some time without working his wings, we must conclude either one, that the course is not horizontal. So that is that the bird is descending. Two, that the wind is not horizontal. Or three, that the wind is not uniform. And so each of these we can sort of begin to understand, right? One, the course is not horizontal. So as I said before, the bird is is sort of angled downwards. It's descending through the air. Two, the wind is not horizontal. And so if there's some upward component of the wind, then even though the bird can be descending through the wind, it can actually still be ascending in relation to the ground. So this right. is something that, you know, glider pilots use all the time to gain altitude. And or, right, the third possibility is that the wind is not uniform. And that is a whole new kettle of fish <laughs> <laughs> that we might need to get yeah. into in a different episode. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's um <laughs> I think we will I think we will hit that one day, but not today. <laughs> we we of course need you to keep coming back for more. Yeah. Here on Question Field. I just looked it up real quick. Lord Rayleigh won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1904. Oh, there you go. For what? What exactly? Um, for his investigations of the densities of the most important gases oh. and for his discovery of argon in connection with those studies. There you go. Fascinating. Well, good on Lord Rayleigh uh, and understanding how birds yeah, <laughs> glide. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, in his spare time. Yeah. Yeah, let me let me take a break from from winning the snowball prize <laughs> and let me explain birds to you all. <laughs> Amazing. But, uh, yeah, no, that wraps it up. We will uh Yeah, maybe we'll get into that uh that last bit of uh <laughs> fish kettling uh another episode. But that has been all for this episode of Question Field, the place where you ask the questions and we field them. As always, uh please leave a a review. We have some nice ones. Thank you to those that have left some reviews. Yeah, thank um, you very much. I'm just going to call some people out. I know you have some people listen and haven't left a review. And it's like, <laughs> like I don't want to have to text you or call you. Like, that's going to be awkward. So uh, just leave a review. Uh, <laughs> but really, it really helps. Thank you, everybody, that has been sharing our stuff uh, on the gram. Uh, sorry to all the bike enthusiasts we offended on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> Hey, yeah, to be um, honest, I, I'm at a complete loss what uh, some of those comments actually meant, <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe not a good sign. Yeah. Man, who, who, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Even more complicated than physics is dissecting the comments section of a TikTok video. <laughs> but thank you, everybody. This has been Question Field, and we will catch you next time. <laughs> I hear it in my head every time you uh, <laughs> you sign off. <laughs>